Yo, 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 yo! What's up, all you burner stoners and potheads out there? This is Weedman420 with the Weedman420 Chronicles. How are all you v- v- vipers doing out there? Mrs. Weedman. Mr. Weedman. How the hell are you? I'm great. That's, How are you? I'm awesome. Good. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Hopefully everyone out in the world is doing awesome. Hopefully you're smoking a big fat doink while you're listening to the show. We had a good weekend, but before we talk about our weekend, let's talk about our poor dog, Yuki. Poor Yuki. Poor Yuki. Uh, we've had to do some tests on her the last couple of days. She's had some uh, very bad digestive problems and uh, yeah, not good for her belly and her yeah, bowels. She, she's skin and bones mm-hmm. because she just keeps growing but then isn't holding any weight because she has had all these digestive issues. So every time you take for a walk, people are like, oh, she's so skinny. Is she okay? Mind your own business. Yeah, leave us alone. <laughs> so I told I told Mr. Weedman today, I'm not... I'm. I can't do the walk of shame right now. <laughs> I can't take her for walks right now because everybody harps on it. Yeah. So blood, we just got to bl- get her back in order, the poor little thing. Blood work today. I got to take her in the morning for more blood work uh, and get tests done, her pancreas, her kidneys. Let's hope it's Let's not hope that. it's nothing. Let's hope it's just puppy Some growth. Some weird right. issue. Yes. Hopefully. The doctor, the vet uh, doctor was very, very, very positive. And very happy that, about everything else about her, though. Oh, yeah. She's been a total trooper. She's not mopey or sad. She's still eating. She's still drinking her water. It's all she wants, wants to do is play. Play, 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 play. But, yeah, what's happening on the other end is not great. Not great. <laughs> all right. So that's Yuki. So, poor Yuki. <laughs> we had some fun this weekend, though. We did. Where'd we go? We went to a 90s, it was called the 90s Beef. <laughs> it was. It was a 90s house party. This uh, sausage company here in Chicago that's been around for generations, a uh, real sausage company. The owner is about our age, and she is kind of uh, bringing the sausage company back to, I don't know that she's bringing it back to life. I think it's always been a, a successful business, but she's just fun i guess yeah. is what it comes down to so she does fun events at the at the factory and so she had a 90s house party she flew in dj's from around the country the country yeah. and they just cranked out some really really great music 90s house it was great they cooked a bunch bunch of sausage and different types it was bring your own drinks and just sit in the parking lot and listen to some great music and, and smoke some weed smoke some weed of course it was great we had such a good time yeah. yeah, we were dancing and stuff. And then there was this couple. Were, because it was a 90s flashback, <laughs> there were some people that were in, I don't know that they were, these people were like in their 90s gear. We we couldn't decide if this was just, they still wear this clothing or if they pulled it out of the closet from the 90s. But the guy had on his Jinko jeans, <laughs> you know, like the rave pants. Yeah, the big, I remember those. wide, wide leg denim. And he had, what did he have on, on with like a long t-shirt or something yeah. like that? And then he had, of course, the big earplugs. And then uh, whoever the woman was that he was with had the total rave hairdo. Couldn't decide if, like, some of the color in her hair was intentional. Like, what was it? it they were had, very like, cute. Patterns. They were dancing they were away. Cute. Oh, she They're was a good fun. dancer. Yeah, she was a yeah. very good dancer. But the best was when they decided to uh, to try to roll a joint. It was so <laughs> cute. They were 
working off of like a, a stack of pallets and they kind of set out a bunch of paper and then they like all of their friends kind of gathered around like like it was still illegal. It was really <laughs> cute. They were all kind of hiding and kind of covering for the person who was trying to roll it. And someone had papers and someone had weed and someone had a lighter. And they, it was it was definitely a yes. collaborative effort. They were smoking weed like they were still in the 90s. It was very cute. It was very cute. So, Mr. Weed, we're in the meantime, we got our pre-roll and we're just smoking away. So Mr. Weedman went over and kind of tapped him on the shoulder, like, here, have a hit of this while you get that joint rolled. Yeah, actually, what did I roll? Oh, I rolled yeah. some Majin Vegeta, so that's what we were smoking. So, yeah. yeah, so he got to taste some of the home grow. I didn't tell him what it was, but he did smoke a little bit of it while he was trying to roll his yeah, own. it was cute. <laughs> we had a good time. Just so strange. Like, people still hide. We're, I'm out there. I lit it up. I didn't even care. Bust right. it out. Just start smoking it. Pass it around to you and, and our friends that we were with. And I just see people still kind of hiding in the side, walking away to go hit their one or mm-hmm. going out to where the cars were at and smoking. Like It's legal. Yeah, man. There's no cops around. There's nobody around. They ain't going to stop you for weed anyway. It'd be foolish if they did. So I don't know. It was kind of strange to still see that kind of – it's still that, that stigma that's still stuck in fucking people's head. Mm-hmm. You know, meanwhile, mm-hmm. everyone's pounding beers and yeah. the DJ's drinking bottles of vodka on the stage and he's, yeah. you know, passing shots around and – People still afraid to smoke weed in public. So weird. So weird. So fucking weird. I didn't get fucks. I just fucking lit it up and smoked. (laughs) Which we're going to do right now. Yeah, we are. Today is the final day that I smoked the final strain of the High Times Cannabis Cup. And I saved my favorite cultivator. And the reason why they're my favorite is because they were uh, the cultivator I first tried here when I got my med license and this is uh nature's grace and this is their graffiti um their graffiti lime and this is called candy store and it's a hybrid it smelled so sweet oh it smells great so mrs yeah. we man this is the first time you're gonna smoke it so this is called candy store it was 24 percent thc it is got a calming effect it is a hybrid it's uh basically uh it's a cross of course of lemon berry candy and uh, og and ethos cookies it's a. This was a really nice nug that they that they put in this uh, mylar bag. Uh, terpenes, uh, I would say they sh- a very berry candy smell. Some floral, I would say it had a nice incense kind of smellish to it. Uh, packed by a little bit of some grass. It hit nicely when I smoked it a little bit earlier for the video that I did. I put out. And, uh, but just very mellow, very, just like, I was like, my high, I didn't realize I was high, but I was, cause I was sitting on, the, I was sitting on the, uh, the recliner, just looking at the episode and I'm just like, Ooh, I guess I am high, but it was very subtle, subtle, but calming. Like <laughs> it took all my anxiety away. That's nice. It was very nice. It was like, I wasn't thinking about anything stressful. So it was very nice. So it made me just relaxed, it made me happy. Uh, some of the some of the stuff that this helps though, from what I read, is uh, it fights fatigue, stress, anxiety. So, I like it. The terpenes are carifolin and myrcene, and it's a happy strain. That's good. I like being happy. Happy is happy. Happy, happy, happy. 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 <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Uh, happy, happy, joy, joy. Happy, happy, joy, is joy. That Ren and Stimpy. Ren and Stimpy. You got it. Damn, that's one show Ren. you will always remember. <laughs> Stimpy. <laughs> Stimpy, you fool. <laughs> it was a bizarre show. It was such a good that show. And cat dog. A half cat. dog, half cat. Oh yeah, that was. That was a bizarre too. show too. <laughs> and then what was that? The the house for. Um, there was a show, it was like a house with a bunch of kids in it, and they were all like like misfit kids. Hey, Arnold? 
Not Hey Arnold. Oh, I'll have to ask the kids about it. It was kind of that whole same. Yeah, Hey Arnold. There was uh, Ed, Ed and Eddie. Ed, Ed and Eddie. There was uh, Rugrats, Cat Dog. There was, uh, what was the one kid? Uh, he, uh, he had like the pokey spiky hair and he had the cute little dog. Hey man. Arnold. No, 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 not him. Oh, man, this one's going to oh. kill me. Oh, I wish the kids were down here. They would tell us it was all Johnny the... Bravo. Bravo was great. Hey, pretty mama. Hey, pretty mama. <laughs> <laughs> so many good ones. Oh, man. You ready to get the show started? Yeah. All right. The choice between indic and sativa is increasingly meaningless. And how to pick your weed. The strain you smoke matters way less than you think it does. And this is the, this is the article, so not my opinion. There's a lot to talk about in the consumer cannabis industry about the effects of different strains, indica versus sativa, calming versus energizing. The strain increases focus. That strain promotes creativity and on and on. But here's the secret. Some of it is meaningless and the rest less than ironclad because the uniqueness of any cannabis plant met with the variable complexity of every human body accepting it makes most attempts to broadly categorize strains and exercise in futility. Even the primary way we group cannabis into either cannabis indica or cannabis sativa or hybrid of the two has its roots in unscientific weed lore and was molded and popularized by potheads, burners, and stoners operating in the shadows of the stigma of prohibition and doesn't tell us as much as we think it does. Modern analysis of cannabis has revealed that sativa and indica plants are identical on the molecular level and their differing appearances, which contributed to their initial 18th century classifications as two different species of plants, can be attributed to growing conditions. Similarly, various strains effects more likely differ due to the conditions under which they were cultivated. Cannabis classifications also lack nuance because the, the, the cannabis effects and flavor can manifest its different ways in different people and on any given day or hour. How you feel when you consume it is as much dependent on what strain you take as your vitals. The last time you ate, how hydrated you are, and if you're on any medications or other substances, even caffeine, nicotine, and alcohol can alter the experience of cannabis no matter what the strain. I always say this with alcohol and weed with me. It gives me like I drank 10 Red Bulls. Mm -hmm. And you always blamed it on the sativa, but I've been smoking some sativa strains and not drinking. Have you noticed that I'm not running around crazy? Right. I was a little bit wound up on Saturday because it was just a good mood. And I was drinking, though. Mm -hmm. I had five beers and smoked a a, a sativa. So I believe that, yes, alcohol has always affected me in a different way with weed. It made me like I was like. It's not a good mix. A full tank. Like going. I can go for hours and not calm down. I liked it. <laughs> Mrs. Weedman doesn't like it. <laughs> it's not, no, you know, it's good until it's not good. Well, because I get wound it's, up. It's good. At like your buzz, just ha- having a good right. time, you're chill, and then you get wound up, and then you get wound up, and then you're like, "Oh shit, here he goes." <laughs> I got my level one hundred. Yeah, level, you want me back at yeah. level fifty? Yeah, like forty-eight point five. No higher. <laughs> While in the flower world, classifications is used as a sale pitch with other types of consumable cannabis. The strain is even less significant a qualifier as producers tend to use stripped down THC distillate 
This is done to drive growth. It makes manufacturing the scale more consistent and controllable for manufacturers. But to people looking for varied weed experiences, it's about how much more than consuming from columns A, B, or C. As categories, indica, sativa, and hybrid are super broad. Many hybrids can lean towards one or the other, while some sativas can have effects that people attribute to indicas and vice versa. I've had that before. I've, I mean, I've heard that before. People who've smoked a sativa said it had the reverse effect. Hmm. And people I've had an indica had the reverse effect. Our friend Mr. Dembski said the same thing a couple times to me. So uh, the inconsistency renders this common classification misleading at best. It is worth favoring one type over another. Many connoisseurs say no, even while offering a few pointers to keep in mind when choosing products. Different smokes for different folks. Head of, uh, Khalid Al-Nazar, head of product in large-scale California operator Raw Garden, has been dancing with the cannabis plant for a long time. And he thinks that in the modern era of the drug, Indica and Sativa, once used to denote the plant's genetic origins, aren't as useful to consumers or growers. We've been talking about this for a while. So... Now, with overlapping lineages and continuous combinations of multiple landrace genetics over the extended amount of time, we are left with a high degree of hybridizations in most of the modern cannabis, Al Nazir told Lifehacker. This means that indica you are buying may have been crossed with hybrid uh, many times over, that the sativa you are smoking has some hybrid percentage, making it label less uh, than accurate. For some examples of how and why this happened, he said only have to look at our demands for our own cannabis plants. They need to be small enough to fit in my closet, indica. They need to be okay with intense light and heat, sativa. I need the plant to mature quickly, indica. I want bright smells like lemons and oranges, sativa. I want heavy resins production, indica. The amazing thing is the plant has accommodated these requests, but at what cost? That's pretty interesting right Mm. there. Mm -hmm. The effect has become harder to discern based on indica or sativa label. Hmm. The binary contri- uh, contributes to the industry's dishonesty. The uniform cannabis consumer can easily be fooled by this common classification system into thinking they know what they are smoking and what they are talking about. The marketing of cannabis, especially in the gray market, often relies on buzzwords, trending strains names, and potentially counterfeit packaging, and can mislead even experienced cannabis enjoyers. As many uh, as many a bar repackages crummy vodka into top shelf bottles, so it goes in the weed world. Though these shady practices are not even prevalent in the world of regulated sales. Sarah El Said, a New York-based cannabis content creator and marketer, is a longtime connoisseur in every type of market. Forget how sativa and indicas are used to describe strains inaccurately. They also mean even less when you're operating in the legal market, she told Lifehacker. After being passed through dozens of hands, the flour or cartridges that you are buying has been probably been renamed, repackaged, or genetically crossed, and origin is rarely ever considered or passed down to the consumer. The old binary simply does not cover how varied the plant effects can be. Sativa and indica reduces the effects of cannabis into two buckets when I rarely ever just feel upbeat or slumped from the particular strain. I'd rather hear more descriptive terms like productive, mood-enhancing, sedating, creative, tension-melting if I'm basing my purchase decision on desired effects I'm seeking. So what will actually help you pick a strain? Brands are finding new footing here. Raw Garden, for example, has taken more interactive approach in, in grooming, uh, guiding people into the right choice. They shifted into looking at aroma profiles as a key indica- indicator for effects. Uh, uh, they now list primary, secondary uh, aroma descriptors on their packaging. That's interesting. Uh, cannabis is a sense, a sea of maybes, just waiting to be engineered and legislated into surety. 
So no, there's no definable reason why or how your cannabis products, products does this. Sorry. The current best practices is if you like the way it smells and tastes, you will likely enjoy the way it feels. It also is fun to try a bunch of different kinds and see what happens. So I'm going to say something. Uh, this is a really good article. But I was with Mr. G, and he picked up uh, a, a, a gram of butter, and it was a cheese strain. It smelled like fucking the sharpest charcuterie blue cheese, but hmm. it made me high just smelling it, Whoa. and it turned me off, period. Hmm. And when he went home and smoked it, he goes, it was awful. The really? taste. Oh. I said, I got me high, but it did not agree with me at all. I said, hmm. dude, I almost threw up when I smelled it. It was disgusting. Somebody might enjoy that. Right. I To me, it was like, the it, it was gross. It was like utterly like turned me off. And I and I said, dude, I would never smoke that. Right. It turned me off what the was smell. It, it was a, a cheese strain. I can't remember, but it was mm. butter. It was it was a concentrate. Ooh. And it was harsh. Nasty. Harsh. Hmm. So harsh. So yeah. It's just it just depends. And I agree with that a lot. Um working out, fitness. Weed. Weed. Mm-hmm. Tell us about well, it. Well, more people are using weed for off-the-couch activities like work, fitness, and intimacy. A study undertaken by the San Francisco-based cannabis delivery platform Ease found an increasing crossover between cannabis use and off-the-couch activities, including work, fitness, and intimacy, reported Adweek. It may sound counterintuitive, but cannabis for responsible adults does exist, said Elizabeth Ashford, Vice President of Communications at Ease. We're seeing an integration of cannabis into parts of life where we previously didn't see it. It's not about waking up and hitting a bong, Ashford told Adweek. Some people might take a two milligram sativa edible like someone else would drink espresso in the morning. The study, which included 1,100 Ease customers, found the following. 43% of users polled said they microdosed cannabis prior to clocking in on their jobs. 40% of those people have a full-time uh, employment. 36% reported that productive is their favorite kind of high. 22% use cannabis for stress and mental health. 17% cited fun as their primary motivation to use cannabis. And 12% said they get better sleep, and that was their main goal. The survey also asked about the role cannabis played in many other aspects of people's lives, including careers and intimate relationships. These were the results. 40% paired cannabis with a new skill or hobby in the past year. 64% ranked art and music as the top two activities they integrate with cannabis. 37% paired cooking with cannabis. And 79% of ease customers reported using cannabis before sex. Finally, 37% said they pair cannabis with their workouts, countering their erroneous and outdated image of couch box stoners. These facts are music to the collective ears of cannabis entrepreneurs and producers who will surely be delighted to provide weed to this busy and rapidly growing segment of the population. Pretty big. I agree with that. Yeah. Pro productive is my favorite high, too. You do like that. Yeah, productive and creative. The um, cannabis industry is in a little trouble right now, uh, especially in the older markets that have been around for a while. The newer markets, they're having some fun. Some of the markets are about to open. They're going to see great growth. But the 
OG market is taking a beat right now. The everyone said cannabis wouldn't get in any trouble. We wouldn't see any inflation. Can't hurt cannabis. COVID didn't hurt uh, cannabis. Uh, cannabis is in trouble, and there is a lot of companies right now that are hemorrhaging money, that have, that are going out of business. Government, multi-state operators, hedge fund people, fuck this up so bad. Something that could have been so good, uh, especially government and big money people, I think are the two worst enemies right now in the cannabis industry. So this this article is by High Times. It's called Craft, the Beating Heart of Cannabis Industry. And, and you know how I feel about craft. I came from the craft beer industry. Listen, that word craft has been thrown around a lot, and I still believe that the craft beer industry is not truly craft either, unless you're just a home brewer at home crafting your 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 business. You're crafting your expertise. You're crafting your to be able to one day maybe go into business. And most craft breweries are 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 being bought out by Mike macro breweries. Your buds of the world, your Inbevs, your Heinekens of the world. They're getting bought out by larger companies you're gonna see it happening with the with the cannabis industry a lot of people are getting in the industry to sell in five or ten years and make a billion dollars you saw it with a lot of craft breweries they sold into the bigger macro breweries what it's still beer in the end it's just beer and the ingredients you put in is the same ingredients a macro brewery is putting in you're putting it in in hops malt water co2 not all of you guys are and, and gals and brewers out there are using organic material, <laughs> and neither is macro breweries. And you're only considered a craft brewer if you brew under a million barrels or something like that. So, I don't know. I mean, is it? It's just beer at the end of the day. I'm just drinking beer with alcohol. But in people it. like the the human story behind a craft brand. Because you feel like you're supporting a friend in business, I, it doesn't feel like you're supporting. You know, you're not. It, it's just a company. What about the ones you know, that sold out? Well, is it really? Selling are they still? Out? Are I they, mean, I don't that, care if they sold, but a lot no, of people know, out there that, consider that's, that they sold. That's objective. I, I'm just saying. What about the ones that sold to the bigger breweries? Are they? They're not. A lot of people don't consider them craft anymore. Right. It's still the same recipe. Right. So it's. Technically, still the same craft beer that you right. drink. It's just being distributed it's, at a larger scale. Right. So the same thing with the, with the cannabis industry. How is craft the beating heart of the cannabis industry? Yeah. We're going to find out in this article, but it's a question to me. I totally agree. But we always talk about the cannabis, the legal cannabis space built backwards. It started with big, big companies that are each getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Right. right? It didn't start with mom and pops because you didn't. There was no licensing to allow mom. In and some pops states, hardly. the West Coast hardly. is a little bit different than you see the the Midwest, and now going right. to happen on in, in the East Coast, and like cases like Florida, where it's all corporate cannabis. You know, right. it, it just depends on what state you're. In, you know, yeah. But as more and more bigger companies now are going into those states and buying out those mom and pops. This right. this right. weed is calming. It is I, calming. Remember, it's, it's, I kind of like it though. <laughs> it's nice. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's let's read this article. The rise of craft cannabis has a history of hiding uh, in the shadows. For the better part of the century, cannabis cultivators operated underground, hiding in basements, closets, attics, and warehouses, hoping to avoid stringent laws and harsh punishments. Punishments. Uh, 
Although this tendency towards covertness, uh, covertness limited access to most, it would have a profound impact on the industry, providing the perfect conditions for what would ultimately become the birth of craft cannabis. Same thing like craft beer. People were brewing it in their garages, you know. Um, the road to craft was a long one, starting out with a whole lot of inferiority. For decades, brickweed, tie stick, and low-quality hash glutted the marketplace. But as politics shifted and the war on drugs began, uh, drugs began relatively lax laws got ever more strict and began to limit the flow of product across borders. Growers moved indoors as supplies dwindled from abroad and domestically qual- quality rose to meet demand of producers amid for a top dollar all while giving consumers the most enjoyable and potent high for their money. Due to the high risk and reward, uh, high reward scenario, not to mention exorbitant cost of weed, only those who truly love cannabis sought it out. Most pot users consequently favored high-quality products over cheaply made ones, potent, lasting highs over a week and, quickly, and quick highs, and craft small batch to mass production. Indoor bud... Uh, is shedded by swag, for example. The marketplace invariably shifted in favor of producers who were ever more quality-driven, uh, quality striving to give consumers a product that was truly worth the high price point and risk. Then in 1996, California revolutionized the cannabis industry and introduced Prop 215, a ballot measure legalizing medical cannabis. Thanks to 215 relatively forgiving laws, small-scale producers were able to step up into the light, exploding into a cannabis cultivation extraction edible frenzy the world had yet to see, both in the number of producers and products available. Hmm, California. So let's skip to this part. Legalization and its pitfalls. Legalization looked, if just for a brief second, to be very, very promising. When in when 2016 Prop 64 was signed into law, a very clear acreage cap was meant to go into effect for a five-year period. That would have proven integral uh, to preserving the industry as the acreage cap was intended to promote investment into small products, safeguarding, and then seamlessly transitioning the older 215 model into something sensible for all involved. So, for true craft cultivators, there is an inherent understanding the scalability can come at a price. It's a slow organic process that has been based on repeatable standard operating procedures that can be proven over time, not just waking up one day and being able to run 2,000 lights. But this doesn't stop uh, uh, two lighter terries from hoodwinking investors, hawking the idea they could grow as, ma- as many lights as possible without any hiccups. Throwing out fancy words such as vapor pressure deficit, CalMag, and photosynthetic photon flux density, they convinced investors that no facility was too big for them to handle. Well, anyone who saw how bad the weed was at the inception of 64 can attest that these terries were simply charlatans as the last remnants of a true craft bud from 215 quickly disappeared off dispensary shelves. It was a bitter situation for small-scale cultivators who had any integrity, growers who were honest about financial expectations, investments, returns, and the state of the industry suddenly had to compete against fast-talking frauds for a share of the limited investment capital trickling into cannabis. Hmm. Hmm. Crazy. Making craft accessible. All right, fam. We've arrived at the place where this writer gives his unsolicited opinions and some solutions on how to save the the this legalization of cannabis, increase tax revenue for the state, and make cultivators part of the industry that would help they that they help build. 
First and foremost, California needs to fix its issues with corruption and lying to voters, a problem far beyond the scope of cannabis industry alone, but one that has tremendous bearing on it. Politicians need to care more about total tax revenue than trying to work with a minuscule selection of companies. When a government chooses to work solely with a few wealthy individuals, it wreaks the foul play of the desire to enrich only the select few in themselves, while preventing the general public from taking part in the wealth. I've said that before. It's so true. Although it's only speculation, it wouldn't be out of line to assume certain officials are getting slipped a little, little under the table. Uh, maybe even getting a license or two. Ultimately, this hurts the whole state as billions of dollars of untapped tax revenue gets lost in traditional sales. Hmm. To solve these issues, it will require a multifaceted approach that embraces the true essence of what legalization represents. Very, very true. So also they need some standardized testing, specialized accessible markets for people. Uh, where is this tax revenue going? Most of that's collected. Uh, is there a new hope? Star Wars, A New Hope. Of course, none of this is going to happen, at least for now, first and foremost, because it levels, it'll level the playing field and everything about legalization has so far been in service of the few and wealthy. Too many people have paid to play. I've heard that in the beer industry for years and the liquor industry for years. Pay to play. Mm-hmm. If you want to get in, you got to pay. And lost while playing, so tough luck changing anything in such an environment. There is a silver lining, however, and that's... Uh, Irritated beautifully by Malcolm Galdwell in this book, David and Goliath, as Galdwell states, giants are not what we think they are. The same qualities that appear to be given them strength are often the sources of great weakness. <laughs> the little guy always wins in the end, right? The little guy always wins in the end. For the craft-minded producers who have waited ever so patiently on the sidelines of these Mormons of epic proportions have played at Cannabis CEO for companies that popped up overnight. I say, wait just a little longer. Your time is coming. The infrastructure is built. The real cannabis industry will soon be able to play at a rate that would be laughable to those who tried getting in the advent of legalization. Because here's the thing. Everyone deserves really, really good weed, and they deserve it at a fair price. With the transition that's coming, he expects the goal to be achievable in the not-so-distant future. While the ocean of mids inevitably dries up, and the sea of quality-driven craft washes it in to replace it. Good article. I will post it because was, there was more to it, but I just took the highlight of the points out on it. But uh, I will say this. If you're not fighting for home grow in your state for yourself to grow your own medicine, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. I don't care if, if there's craft growers out there. I don't care if there's corporate growers out there. If you're not legally allowed to grow your own medicine and to grow your own weed, like you can grow vegetables and fruits out in your garden, everyone's doing it wrong. Because <laughs> you're talking about the people writing the laws, and, yeah, you know, yeah, the laws. And, and the people who aren't fighting to get these laws passed, right? So, mixing a lot of stuff. We've talked about caffeine and alcohol. We've talked about melatonin. Just some more, just some more knowledge, right, Ms. Weed Main? Yeah, mixing weed. How Cannabis Interacts with Melatonin, Caffeine, and Alcohol. Consuming both melatonin and weed at the same time can make you extremely sleepy, drowsy, and sedated. Here's how weed might affect you when combining it with caffeine and alcohol. Many of us consume a wide range of substances to help keep us sane in this crazy life. Coffee to help wake us up, 
and be productive, alcohol for celebrating or decompressing, and melatonin as one of the most common over-the-counter sleep aids for those sleepless nights. But with more people consuming cannabis, how do these interactions play about? Coffee. According to experts, the majority of Americans consume some kind of coffee drink daily. That's millions of people who rely on a cup of joe every day. And the number of people who consume weed continue to rise too. The euphoric bliss that comes with pairing coffee and cannabis is unlike any other. Many believe that the origins of combining coffee and cannabis started in Amsterdam, where the cannabis cafe culture was abuzz for many decades. Whether you're drinking a straight-up commercial THC or CBD-infused coffee drink or having a few puffs from your vape after your morning coffee, it's hard to describe why this mix feels so good. The caffeine content in coffee stimulates the central nervous system and prevents you from getting sleepy, providing a much-needed mental and physical energy boost. Cannabis can work similarly in the human body. However, everyone reacts differently to the combination. Some find that consuming CBD with coffee helps take the edge off of the strong caffeine dose, while boosting it with THC with THC can increase alertness and energy. A 2013 study suggested that the combination can improve cognitive performance, offering better concentration while the user also enjoys the medicinal benefits of cannabis. In another study, researchers found that both cannabis and caffeine lead to a spike in dopamine levels through various mechanisms. This finding suggests that when these are taken at the same time, this dopamine dopamine increase could be responsible for the boost of happy feelings and euphoria. Both cannabis and caffeine are neutral compounds. Combining both is generally safe and well-tolerated by most people, as long as you don't consume excessive amounts of coffee because this can lead to heart palpitations. Melatonin. Melatonin is a hormone that the body naturally produces on its own as a response to darkness. It helps regulate the circadian rhythm, the internal clock that tells us when it's time to sleep and wake. Humans have the highest natural levels of melatonin in the evening when it's dark. This is a signal for us to prepare for bed. However, millions of people struggle with falling and staying asleep. Melatonin is one of the easiest over-the-counter supplements available to help with sleeping. According to studies, cannabis consumption naturally helps increase melatonin Wait, cannabis consumption <laughs> helps naturally increase melatonin levels. There you go. Hey, it's not surprising then that so many people rely on weed to help them fall and stay asleep. There's even a market for sleep-specific cannabis products because it works so well in fighting insomnia. Consuming both melatonin and cannabis at the same time can make you extremely sleepy, drowsy, and sedated. This is not necessarily dangerous as long as you don't take too much melatonin. Experts recommend anywhere between 1 and 5 milligrams per dose. There are no known dangers uh, of the interaction between the two, but it's wise to tread cautiously. Individuals who rely on cannabis to fall asleep due to pain or other illnesses that prevent them from getting decent shut-eye are advised to talk to their physician if they need help uh, with an additional sleep aid. Instead of combining the two, which can lead to increased drowsiness, then waking up when waking up in the morning, you may be better off with a stronger cannabis product or dose without needing to or dose without needing to mix any substances. Alcohol. Ah, uh, alcohol. <laughs> the most popular legal and addictive substance that society has today. 
There's nothing wrong with having a few glasses of wine or a few bottles of beer at the end of a stressful work week. Mixing with cannabis uh, makes relaxing even more enjoyable. Combining the two can provide a deep level of sedation that helps you forget about all of your stress. But if you're a binge drinker, which is typically defined as drinking more than four or five drinks within two hours, mixing with cannabis is not recommended. Casually mixing a few glasses of alcohol with a few tokes of weed is generally safe in moderation. However, it's always safest to mix both when you're in the comfort of your own home and you don't have to worry about driving. Getting excessively drunk or stoned when mixing both can be dangerous and can even cause blackouts. Cannabis has also been shown to help reduce the incidence of liver cirrhosis and minimize hangovers the next day. For many people who are seasoned cannabis consumers and know how to drink responsibly, the occasional mixing of both substances should be fine. When it comes to CBD, which isn't psychoactive, you may experience an increase in sleepiness when combining CBD with alcohol, if either is consumed in high doses. If you're interested in mixing CBD with your glass of wine, it's always recommended to purchase from legitimate manufacturers, especially those that that can provide you with a certificate of analysis so you know exactly how much you're consuming. Always choose a high CBD and a low THC product to increase the safety of your experience. Alcohol. Yep. Killer. That's a good alcohol, though. The melatonin thing always got me. You know, Mm -hmm. I never tried it. It, yeah, but try it by itself. Don't mix it with cannabis. I wouldn't. Right. I've always heard, though, reading that article too, and always hearing how melatonin and cannabis don't mix. Mix. Huh. So, what's the other one? The other sleepy one begins with a C. Chamomile. Ca- chamomile. That and cannabis is good to, to mix. Yeah. And ca- lavender is actually good to mix too. The three, if you mix, like really good for sedative Could you sleep. Drop like a lavender seed in your joint. Like or ground up lavender. You could, I guess, if you can smoke it. Are you able to smoke lavender? Mm-hmm. I don't know. That'd be kind of cool. I wouldn't put the seed in there because it would just pop. <laughs> like seed, right, like, like grind it. Yeah, you grind would grind it. Right. Feet. Check it out. You never know. Hmm. Hmm. Let's see. Yep. More Americans now smoke cannabis than cigarettes for the first time ever in Gallup reports. That's awesome. Americans say cannabis is better for people and society than alcohol. Gallup poll shows. That's another awesome one. Did you look it up? Mm-hmm. What does it say? Uh, it is possible to smoke lavender similar to tobacco. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Might Maybe one day try it. I might have to. <laughs> <laughs> Inside the wild, wild west of Virginia's cannabis market. This is crazy because it's not even like, it, not even like really starting. <laughs> it's in, it's just, it, I love it. I think it's great. I love when hearing cannabis states or the wild, wild west like Oklahoma now Virginia, sitting on a party bus next to his son in a vacant stripper pole, Eric Jorgen, 62, ran his thumb along a hand-carved pipe and passed it to someone sitting next to him. Trust me, he said over blaring music, every hit you get off this will blow your mind. A longtime woodworker, Jorgensen, for years, carved jewelry boxes and back scratchers. That's a weird, weird, that's weird. <laughs> back scratchers. He'd stop smoking pot. When he was when his sons were born, to set a good example. But now the Jorgensen's kids are grown up and married, and Virginia's laws have changed. So on a muggy Friday night evening in July, he bounced along the back roads of Chesapeake, Virginia, on his way to a anniversary event marking a year since Virginia became the first state in the South to legalize possession. 
When the bus stopped, he carried his art down the stairs and into a wood cellar, uh, cellaring where vendors lined the tables with THC-infused pi- pipes and Tupperware containers full of bud for sale and show. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Virginia, baby. It's like the wild, wild west, he said. While having cannabis in legal in Virginia, recreational sales are not leaving people eager to smoke with few legal options to get their hands on, Bud and entrepreneurs eager to operate within the law increasingly were, uh, wary of working in the shadows. For budding cannabis businesses around the state, navigating Virginia's gray area has required creativity and brash willingness to put push brown, boundaries where they've watched lawmakers spar over the year and how to best establish a framework for legal market. Yeah, it's going to take Virginia forever to like figure this shit out. So just grow your own cell and just give it away have have big pot parties that means these pop-up events growing classes uh clothing products and creating memorable brands with eccentric logos that customers are already familiar with once the legal route uh to sales man this is awesome we've succeeded in determining what the world is for cannabis company in virginia said Aline perkins owner of ccc events the anniversary host when they're not really supposed to have cannabis companies in virginia the tension over how to operate in the legal market for substances once revealed as a gateway uh, to all the different drugs and heroin a decade after Colorado and Washington came, became the first legal states to record uh, rec, uh, cannabis debates over how to develop and regulate selling something that's readily available in the shadows persist. The conflict of wanting to get into the market and the hurdles of doing so legally echo nationally as more states move to legalize recreational pot. Perkins would love a shot at the license uh, once lawmakers in Richmond establish a framework for legal dispensaries. In the meantime, there's money to be made. So Virginia, man, I, I, you know what? I like what they're doing though. You know, they're going out and they're just doing it with or without the government's help. And the people are controlling it, not the government. I love it. Keep it going. Keep the wild, wild South. Let's call it not called the wild West. It's called the wild South of cannabis, right? Cause it's sure. not in the West. Right. Virginia's east of us, well, and it's the first state south of, of the border to le- uh, legalize having it. Hmm. Wild South, the wild, wild South of <laughs> cannabis is the state of Virginia right now. Good for you. Southeast. Yes, but South. <laughs> it's South. Just South. Don't confuse my me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, shit, you're stoned, huh? Oh, yeah. I am. So the medical cannabis market to generate $54.34 billion by 2029. That's a lot of money. That's just the medical cannabis field. Here's something crazy. Florida Governor DeSantis suggests charging cannabis companies more to do business. We know it's medical in Florida. It's all corporate-owned. It costs $52 million, bazillion to get a license down there. It's all MSOs down there. The only people that can afford it to get into the business is that. You have to have a lot, a lot of money. Just put it that way. And the Sanders wants to, wants them to pay more. So basically, no private person, mom and pop shop, will ever in the medical market be able to open up anything in Florida. The way they're going. Now, I don't even know if they'll be able to do it in, in let's just say, when it goes rack. What is he going to charge? Probably more. It's just ridiculous that the people can't be free in Florida to be able to get a license. It's crazy. 
legal THC. We've talked about this so many times, yeah. Mrs. Weed Man, just to help us both understand right. the hemp derived THC versus the cannabis plant derived THC. And sometimes you still ask me. Yeah, I still get confused. I know it's a, a question that a lot of people have. Um, and ask legal THC and like, how, like, what are we even talking about? Right. So this is another article. Uh, legal THC, your questions answered. So follow me. With cannabis still illegal federally, and in some states, oh, I got to start that over. <laughs> with cannabis still illegal federally, and in some states, what's the deal with legal THC seemingly available everywhere? That's the key, right? Signs bearing legal THC. Now, any state that allows cannabis to be sold the cannabis has to be sold in a dispensary. So legal THC would have it that you wouldn't see THC for sale at a gas station or a smoke shop or a health food store because the cannabis plant THC can only be sold at a dispensary in every state that allows legal cannabis sales, right? So that's where it gets confusing. Like you drive past, you're in a state, Maybe it's not even legal in that state. We saw it in Florida. Right. It's not legal. It's medically illegal there. And you're like, wait, THC at the gas station. I'm so confused. How do they sell it there? So that's what this is referring to, okay? Signs bearing legal THC have been popping up in windows of vape shops, gas stations, and wellness centers around the country. For many, especially those in states where cannabis continues to be illegal, this has caused confusion. After all, if cannabis is illegal federally and in a particular state, how are stores openly selling THC? The confusion stems from the misconception that THC per se is illegal. It's not. Cannabis is illegal, federally and in some states. On the other hand, THC in hemp is lawful. Okay, so the, here's like the lead in right here could confuse some people. You've got a hemp plant, you've got a cannabis plant. They are identical plants with the exception of the amount of THC that can be derived from the plant. A cannabis plant is anything with 0.3% or higher THC, and a hemp plant is anything with 0.3% and lower THC. So there's still THC. It would just take a lot to get you to a state of like psychotropic uh, side effects of smoking it, okay? But you're still going to get THC, all right? That's what they're they're looking at here. Um, when THC is derived from hemp rather than from cannabis, it is federally legal for adults to buy it across the country without a prescription. As cannabis business lawyer Rod Knight explains, the terms hemp and cannabis are mostly misleading. Both are the plant cannabis sativa and, in fact, are biologically indistinct from each other. The sole difference between them is their respective concentrations of tetrahydrocannabinol, commonly known as THC. By definition, hemp can contain no more than 0.3% of delta-9 THC. The 0.3% rule first appeared in the Agricultural Act of 2014, the 2014 Farm Bill, which allowed states to create pilot programs to research industrial hemp. The Agricultural Improvement Act of 2018, the 2018 Farm Bill, kept the 0.3% rule and broadly legalized hemp throughout the U.S. 
ushering in a current market for commercial hemp products, including hemp derivatives like CBD, CBG, and the various forms of THC. Additionally, the 2018 Farm Bill created a large opening in the cannabis industry for businesses to develop and market hemp products with high levels of cannabinoids other than CBD. This includes products with enough THC to cause psychoactive effects while still complying with a federal limit of 0.3% delta-9 THC by weight. The best-known form of THC is delta-9 THC, the most abundant cannabinoid in cannabis and the reason that you get high. But delta-9 THC is not the only form of THC. Both cannabis and hemp contain other forms of THC as well, like delta-8 and delta-10, although only in very small amounts. Since only trace levels of THC are present in hemp, They were not a factor in the hemp market until the farm bill opened the door to innovations in extraction and processing. Manufacturers are now able to work with hemp-derived THC in much higher concentrations. Delta-8 THC, which has effects similar to but less less potent than the effects of Delta-9 THC, was the first hemp-derived THC to gain traction in the market. But Delta-9 THC has quickly become the most popular form of hemp-derived THC since it produces the effects that are identical to those of cannabis. While the federal legality of hemp-derived THC has been challenged several times since 2018, the Farm Bill's definition of hemp has so far been affirmed. In 2021, the DEA stated that cannabinoids extracted from cannabis with a Delta-9 THC concentration of not more than 0.3% on a dry weight basis, met the definition of hemp, and thus are not controlled under the Controlled Substance Act. By legal definition, hemp products are products containing less than 0.3% Delta-9 THC. Because of this, hemp products can contain any quantity of Delta-8 THC and still be federally legal. In a unanimous ruling in 2022, a California federal appeals court ruled that the Farm Bill is silent with regard to THC, Delta-8 THC, and that regardless of the wisdom of legalizing Delta-8 THC products, this court will not substitute its own policy judgment for that of Congress. Although federal law seems clear for the moment, some state governments have imposed restrictions on hemp-derived THC. Since Delta-9 THC is explicitly part of the definition of hemp, it would be difficult to restrict hemp-derived Delta-9 products without also restricting full-spectrum CBD products the same way. But states can restrict or ban forms of THC like Delta-8, Delta-10, and THCO without also challenging the status of full-spectrum CBD products that contain trace amounts of these Delta-9 THC. Jeez, Louise. Unlike Delta-9 <laughs> THC, these other forms of THC aren't directly tied to the definition of hemp. So it is a very complex issue. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. State laws are changing all the time. Moving forward, expect to see more states banning various forms of THC, even if they are allowed hemp-derived Delta-9 THC products uh, remaining in the market with regulations around potency testing and labeling. So then this goes into the difference between hemp-derived THC and cannabis-derived THC. Well, aside from the source, hemp-derived Delta-9 and cannabis-derived Delta-9 don't differ at all. Chemically, they are indistinguishable. 
So again, it just goes back to how much is actually in it, right? Um, uh, when states legalize weed, either medicinally or recreationally, they set up significant regulations. While a few states have enacted regulations around hemp-derived products to ensure their quality and safety, most states have not. As a result, some bad actors have taken advantage of the lack of regulation with hemp products that aren't thoroughly tested or have dishonest labeling. Before purchasing hemp-derived THC products, it's a good idea to make sure the company selling them has full panel certificates of analysis posted on their website. These certificates should report cannabinoid content that is accurately reflected in the product label and should report that the product has zero harmful contaminants. Another way to know that you're getting a high-quality and legal THC product is to purchase from the a Louisiana hemp company. Did you know this? Louisiana, I actually didn't until I read the article. Yeah. <laughs> Louisiana has adopted the most robust requirements for registering consumable hemp products in the country. The requirements pertain to testing, ingredients, packaging, marketing, and a 21-year age limit for intoxicating hemp products, among other considerations. In order for hemp-derived THC products to be sold in Louisiana, they must meet all of these requirements and be approved by the Louisiana Health Department. You can see a full list of products approved for sale in the state of Louisiana on the Louisiana Health Department website. Uh, they currently allow all forms of hemp-derived THC as long as the finished product contains less than 0.3% Delta-9. Going a step further than federal law, the state also caps the percentage of total THC at 1%, one of several limitations intended to keep consumers safe while allowing a new market for hemp-derived THC products to grow. Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Are you understanding it more? Yeah. It's not easy. It's I mean, not. it's 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 science. Science. <laughs> Watch out. Europe is gaining ground over the U.S. in cannabis medicine. International news. And as we lack here in the States federal legalization, and not every state is legal yet, Europe has quietly been making strides in the cannabis industry. We've talked about Germany. We've talked about Malta. We've talked about Spain. We've talked about Switzerland. Luxembourg. Portugal. Looks like pharmaceutical and biotech company says the data is clear. Europe is about to take the lead of cannabis testing and clinical trials while the U.S. waits on federal legalization. <laughs> International authority in developing large-scale cannabis infrastructures and the most advanced pharmaceutical cannabinoid products, Cezano. This is a unique perspective on the cannabinoid medicine development in the U.S., Europe, and worldwide. If you live in Lisbon, Portugal, but you've also worked on numerous cannabis projects in the U.S., Yes, and before that, uh, he was a banker and a real estate developer. When in 2008 the real estate market collapsed, higher growth areas like cannabis became more interesting to him. So he left the U.S. to go to Europe because he sees opportunities are growing faster, bigger, and better than in the States, United States, that is. And also to agree, he agreed to source biomass from wherever in the world with legal cannabis, programs like South Africa, Macedonia, Europe, Colombia, Uruguay, and now Thailand, which all these countries we've read about. Is there a country that you think that has the most perfect for cultivation? He says uh, to look at some of the best cannabis before it was legal, like Mexico and Colombia and Africa and Thailand. All have perfect climate, labor costs, and growth advantages. Hmm. The, uh, the development process in the U.S. is very rigorous through the FDA. It's the same in Europe, he says, with the FDA-style approval in Europe, but it's going a little bit more smoothly. 
than in the United States. Uh, do you have sites? Do they have sites on more uh, European markets versus U.S.? The U.S. is the heavyweight champion of cannabis. It will continue to do so because it's a wealthy country and has incredible infrastructure and manufacturing, retail labs, distribution channels, and everything you can imagine, except that it operates in a bubble. Whereas we look at Europe as a global-scale product, we're not making a product that will be sold in one state to a dispensary. We're making products that will be sold in almost every country except for the United States. India is starting to develop cannabis oil therapies. Brazil just got the first shipment of extract products, and Germany is on its way to going recreational but it's not going to be regulated on a recreational level like it is in the States. It will be driven by the health minister who will treat it like a narcotic. The EU is the gold standard for global pharmaceutical production minus the United States. In Europe, we have distribution through the big pharma networks, which is a global distribution chain, and legalization spreads, so do the distribution channels. Europe is about to take off, and more access through Germany, Spain, and full-blown cannabis medical programs. Sosa made it easier for doctors to prescribe Thailand, low-cost, good weed, Thai sticks for everyone. South Africa and South America becoming leading exporters. You have countries like Uruguay looking to be the most extensive distribution hub for South America, and Colombia has the most successful public companies. Although Brazil hasn't figured out about manufacturing, they're big enough to import and distribute what they want in to large populations. And of course, New Zealand is coming along now that Australia has a much better foothold. They've been doing better and great things over there. Uh, did you see Europe leading the ca uh, cannabinoid medicine? The data is very clear. Europe is getting ground on testing. The U.S. is probably the heaviest, heaviest uh, weighting somewhere on 60%, but Europe is slowly gaining with 35-plus percent, and the number is only growing. So the U.S. better watch out. Looks like Europe is just going to say, fuck it. This is our shot. <laughs> mm -hmm. so edibles again gummies one of the hardest things to make that we've tried to do and we never got it right so we I stopped know. making them i know i don't think we tried enough no but the few times that we did i think we went like five or six times i still think the gummy worms you made were the best yeah those were the best people make it look so easy i, know. I follow a bunch of people on social media that that bake all the time and make everything look so simple I just haven't had luck with it yet. New book, though. Yeah. So we have a new book uh, that teaches you how to make weed gummies at home. Monica Lowe's first experience with weed was much like many of ours. Sketchy baggies of questionable quality cannabis inhaled hastily in a college dorm room to ease social anxieties and spur art school creativity. This was before legalization, before hip packaging, home deliveries, and reliable doses. The Wild West of Weed, which was not all that long ago. But her journey to becoming who she is today, founder of Sue Weed, a company I think that's showcasing very unique. It's cute. It's awesome. A company showcasing the superfood qualities as opposed to psychoactive properties of cannabis, and author of the upcoming book, The Weed Gummy Cookbook, started with a herniated her story with cannabis started with a herniated spinal disc in 2015. My doctor had prescribed a mixture of opioids and acetaminophen, but they wrecked my stomach, making the whole situation worse, Lowe said. I eventually tried a cannabis edible my roommate brought home from a dispensary, and that night I slept so well. Well rested for the first time since her injury, Lowe woke up knowing she had to figure out how to make her own safe edibles. Her small San Francisco apartment had a strict no-smoking policy, so cooking fragrant cannabis on a stovetop was out of the question. Instead, she parlayed her professional experience as a sous-vide startup into innovation. 
since the cannabis flower and cooking oil are sealed in an airtight bag and placed under water to infuse, there's no smell, she says. Plus, I can make multiple cannabis infusions at once using all of my favorite cannabis strains. Seaweed, we love a good pun, was born touting cannabis-infused recipes from an Asian-American kitchen. The site features a variety of recipes from Basque cheesecake to Taiwanese braised pork over rice. Sounds delicious. <laughs> the medicated dishes helped Lo with the pain management of her injury, and the blog helped her find her voice and tapped into an industry that was increasingly profitable. Lo's cookbook, Out Today on Ulysses Press, is the culmination of her hard work in the recipe development and innovation. But realistically, Lowe says, it was likely greenlit by the, because of the pandemic, with its languid hours of quarantine and worry of lung issues. Uh, with its languid hours of quarantine and worry of lung issues, it spurred an impressive uptick in consumption of edibles over inhaled cannabis. It may be easiest in her home state of California anyway to swing by the pot shop and pick up a pack of gummies or mints or chocolates, Lowe says, though making your own allows you the freedom to customize to your taste preferences and also create organic treats free of preservatives companies have to use to extend shelf life. To create the book, which she wrote and photographed, every surface in the house was covered with gummies and candies, she said. I started each recipe out without the cannabis infusion so I could get the process and flavors down right without wasting my precious cannabis. Since I was pregnant, I packaged up infused treat boxes to deliver to friends so they could be my taste testers. She delivered her baby the same week as the book manuscript. Speaking of motherhood, I needed to know how Lowe's own parents feel about her being a boss in the cannabis industry. She laughs. She says... They're at peace with it now, but definitely weren't in 2015 at the start. I had to bring it up to them because the San Francisco Chronicle wanted to interview me, and I felt it would be better for them to hear it from the source rather than reading about it in the paper, Lowe says. They were initially very concerned, mainly because of the stigma around cannabis and the lack of education on its medical use. The stigma Lowe speaks of is well known. Cannabis's medicinal use, particularly in Asia, in Asia, less so recognizing that uh, did that even make any sense <laughs> all right in the asian culture there's a lot of stigma even if it's medicinal <laughs> recognizing that asian i'm really high recognizing i told you the strain yeah. is this really calming it's it I, I don't feel like i just I'm, feel really slow i don't feel couch locked no but just calming yes and like i have no worry like mm -hmm. right now so it's a good strain mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, recognizing that Asian Americans face unique issues when it comes to cannabis use and acceptance due to differences in culture and social stigmas, and aiming to dispel the lazy stoner stereotype, Lowe started Asian Americans for Cannabis Education, AACE, with two co-founders back in 2015. Still, it took some time for her parents to come around. The research she did as part of AACE helped her dad arrive at a place of acceptance— her mom took longer, though. I flew her out to San Francisco from Dallas and had her tinker in the kitchen with me as a bonding experience. I wanted to show her how I use cannabis infusion in our family recipes, and we worked together on this infused XO sauce, an oyster mesaw, she says. You'll find the imprints of Lowe's familial and cultural background throughout the book, which is really what makes this an exceptional read. 
Not only is it a guide to creating your own, own edibles at home, but it's one that highlights more typically Asian flavors and dishes like snowflake crisp nougat and lychee jelly. Grab a copy today. Hell yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Need to make some of those. I know. Pro wrestler Kevin Nash, Big Sexy, and also founder of the NWO, Too Sweet, started his own cannabis uh, company. And he's got some cultivators in Michigan making some cannabis for him. And it's called Hyman Cannabis. Another, another superstar. Another star starting their own cannabis line, getting into the game, partnering with uh, a cultivator in different states, using their name to build a brand. Good for him. I like wrestling. <laughs> so, Mrs. Wee Man, mm-hmm. got anything else to say? Mm, let's smoke some more. We will. We will. We're going. We're going for a little, little, little couple mini day vacation with Yuki. Yeah, we are. Mrs. Uh, Grandma Weedman's in town. We're yep. Take her on a little trip for a couple of days. Everyone out there, and if you celebrate Labor Day, have a great Labor Day weekend, everybody. Enjoy your time off. Relax. Barbecue because summer's over. <laughs> <laughs> boo. Boo hoo. Uh, boo. Although fall in the Midwest is pretty sweet. Yes, it's pretty sweet. I'm looking forward to. October. Yeah. Fires outside. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sweatshirts. So, yep. Sweatshirt hoodie season's coming in. Yay. Coming into play. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody out in the world. Have a great night. Smoke some big fat doinks. We love you all out there. Be kind to one another. As Polly always says, smoke smart. Puff, puff, and away. Puff, puff, puff.